You know, there's so many things in our lives that we're asked questions or people ask questions they don't have answers. And I love that that song asks the questions for which there is answers. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of all of those things during this time. Um, we're going to be back in the book of Ephesians today, chapter one. And I want to just quickly take a step back into that because what we're talking about today is actually built upon the things that we studied in the weeks prior. Uh, we took a couple weeks off just to take some time to talk about stewardship. And as we do that, uh, that was awesome. I, I love doing that. Uh, many of you said, you know, like, I think you like preaching about giving. And I do. I love it. I love preaching about giving because it will absolutely change your life when you get in God's economy and understand what God is doing. And you start to just see the scripture promises fulfilled over and over again. So I love that. That's true. I want to remind you from Ephesians chapter one, what we're writing or what Paul is writing to what we're reading about. So the first is this, is that he's writing to a church in Ephesus, or some people say churches in Ephesus. Doesn't matter either way. It's probably a circular letter that's making its way to the churches. So it'd be like the Nashville church or the churches of Nashville. It doesn't matter. It's all, it's, it's the same. Um, but as he's writing that and he's, and he's talking to these people, the background and the backdrop of that becomes really important for us to understand that he's writing to them in a city that doesn't look that different from ours. It's a city that has a temple in it that is, is worshiping a God of fertility. And, and these are Gentile believers now who are part of this church that has just started in Ephesus. And as he's writing to them, he's used some we and us or we and you language that, let me rephrase that. He's used we talking about Jews and he's used you talking about Gentiles to make it us. Does that make sense? I was trying to get that out. It was getting, it was getting real confusing. Um, but he's talking to people saying there's inclusion language here because we as Jews were part of what God had been doing and now you as Gentiles are absolutely part of what God has been doing. And as he says that to them, it's pretty important what he's been saying. He's been saying that the reason that we're included in this together is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that will unite us. Remember we talked about this, that you can't start from our differences and try to find unity. That's a funny thing to me that we are pursuing in our own country. If we really want unity, we're gonna have to find it in the gospel. The gospel is the thing that tears down walls and, and makes that happen. And so he comes to this amazing text now where he's going to tell them, hey, check this out. There are a couple of things that you need to know. And, and he's gonna tell them there's a way that you can have proven faith. And he gives them two tests of that proven faith. And then he's gonna say, I'm praying for you. And what he's praying for them is to understand some things that have happened in eternity past and things that are gonna happen in eternity future. And, and what we're gonna be looking at today will build into our, our key verse that you see up there on either side of the screen for Easter. So this becomes very important. And as I was reading this passage this week, I was really moved by it and it was really speaking to me about some things in my life that God just needs to work in and I hope what happens today is what God has just kind of been stepping on my toes becomes the overflow that blesses you. You know, sometimes you're preaching to the choir, sometimes you're preaching to yourself, sometimes we're preaching to us all, right? And, and I really hope that what happens out of this is that this prayer becomes very meaningful for this church. This would be important for us this morning, that this prayer from Scripture would be meaningful for us as a church. So I want us to have proven faith and then see this prayer answered in our lives. So let's read Ephesians chapter one, verse 15, if you would. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of his calling is, what the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints is, and what the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. As we look at this, he starts by saying to this group of people that he's been calling you, he's now calling us, he's saying to them, I want you to know that there's some proven things that I see in your life that prove to us the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, normally if you're struggling, if you came to me and said, I'm struggling a little bit with the assurance of my salvation this morning, what I would immediately do is take you to the book of 1 John because the book of 1 John just lays these things out over and over again about how we know we're of the faith. But what he does right here is he gives us two tests if you're taking notes. He gives us two concrete tests so that we might know that we are of the faith and that we are in Christ. And they become very important for us because a lot of times what we like to do is we like to make up our own test and it doesn't work that way. He gives it to us. And if you've ever struggled with this like I have or like I sometimes feel the enemy is, is coming and knocking on the door to say like, you're not enough. Here it is for us to say this morning, how do I know that I'm of the faith? Well, let's look at these concrete tests from verse First, uh, verse 15, if, if we could look back at that for just a second, he said, this is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So the first is that you have faith in the Lord Jesus. And, and that's the starting point for our salvation, isn't it? And I would say this to you and I'd say it to me. What we have to be careful of here is that we don't get caught in the trap of saying, well, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That, that, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking to a group of people that have abandoned everything else and placed their faith in Jesus, that there's nothing else that's going to hold their faith. And he's saying, you know, as you look out and you see the temple here, this isn't it. That's a false God. You need to be having your faith abandoned to everything except Jesus. So it's the abandonment of all other hope. And I think that's a massive issue for us as Christians when we talk about this, because particularly in the Baptist life, can I just, can I pick on us for just a minute? Kind of, we're, we're closed doors. Nobody's going to hear this but us, right? Except everybody's watching on the internet, right? But just us this morning, every church or every denomination, every, every kind of stripe of Christianity that we have in, in the United States, there's always great things about it. And there's always some little deficiencies that kind of creep up or excesses that can kind of creep up. And, and one that might be true of us that some people have pointed out is they said that Baptists believe correctly that once you're saved, you're always saved. That's absolutely rock solid truth. But what sometimes we may be prone to excess in is easy believism. And what we mean by that is like, well, do you believe in Jesus? Then you're saved. Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay. Is he your Lord? Has your life changed? Right? Was there something, a point in your life where you changed? He's not talking about, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have this kind of faith thing that says like, oh, well, yeah, I do. I believe, I believe in the historical Jesus. Everybody believes in Jesus. I believe what I was taught. It's not that. Have you placed your faith in him and abandoned all other hope and salvation? Now, that becomes very important for us to ask because in the city that they were living in, our city's not too far from it. If you go over on West End today, you can see a Parthenon that was built. Like, that's not a joke, folks. That's not a joke. 
Go downtown and see the God of Mercury on top of Union Station. That's not a joke. Like that's, that's, that's part of who we are as a city. We look at those things. Those are false gods that people have worshipped. That's idolatry. And, and it can be anything. Somebody said to me this week, idolatry is when we take unimportant things and make them most important things. Right? That, that, is, that is when we don't understand their proper place. And, and, and maybe you just need to go downtown to kind of get a glimpse of what our city is like. If you haven't been downtown lately, I got to go yesterday. It was an eye-opening experience. Hadn't been in a while. Kind of thought the rain would have driven everybody out. Not so. I noticed a couple of things. Um, my favorite is what uh, my sister said that one of her friends told her is, it's called. This is the kind of the woo girls. You know, they, they're on the back of these trailers riding around. My favorite is the hot tub trailer. I've been thinking that we need to have our next deacons meeting in the hot tub trailer <laughs> riding around downtown because nothing says classy city. I mean, I'm pr- proud to be from Nashville. Come sit in a hot tub and get drunk. That'd be great. And ride around being pulled by a trailer and woo! Yeah, that's what, right? That's what we do, right? You you think I'm kidding? Go downtown and see the debauchery that's down there. And we celebrate this, and we worship this, and we don't understand, right? That's not abandonment of faith. Faith says, I turn my back on this stuff. I'm going with Jesus. It's not all roads lead somewhere. This is... This is the downfall of the American church to believe in the ecumenical movement. We're all good. We're all good. No, we are not. Wide is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. There's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus. That's it. You don't get any, any other way. And for you to tell somebody, that means you haven't abandoned yourself to Jesus if you don't say the way's narrow. You don't believe in the God of the Scripture. These people, it was costing them something. They were having to abandon their culture and follow after Jesus, and it meant something to them. And as they were doing that, you understand that we have to do the same. It's not just for them. We have to abandon everything. Somebody said one time, if you maybe took the faith outline uh, years ago, that faith forsaking all, I trust him. I'm not putting my faith in governments. I'm not putting my faith in economy. I'm not putting my faith in myself and my own morality. And so you can can build your own test. Oh, I'm a good person. That's not what he said. There are lots of great people who don't know Christ. They're nice. They're good neighbors. They'll help you in a pinch. They can even be very moral people. They don't know Christ. That's not the test. He says, have you put your faith in Christ and abandon everything else. That's the test. What am I trusting in? What is standing in the way of abandonment for me? What do I have to lay aside? That's a test for us. The second test is this. He says that you have love for all the saints. And the key word there that he said was all and then the saints. That, that word is really important for us. Remember that he's writing as a Jew to Gentiles. They've been in enmity with one another. And now... They're they're reconciled to God together and the walls have fallen. And if you don't love God's people, you don't love God. You haven't met him yet if you don't love God's people. All God's people. See, I think that's one of the things that that we're missing in our country is we're trying to get back to equality of things and we're trying to make things right and we're missing the secret sauce. It's a heart change. If we want to see that, it starts when God changes someone's heart from the inside out. 
Because what we understand is that God is doing something for himself. He's building a people for himself. And the scripture says that everyone's going to be represented there. Every tribe, nation, tongue. It's all going to be there. And so everybody, all is key. That means it's not just my circle. It's not just the people that I run with. It's not just the people that I kind of naturally affiliate myself with. It's all people. It's everybody, whether they're rich or poor, from my side of the tracks, the wrong side of the tracks, the right side of the tracks, doesn't matter. All people, do you love God's people? I tell you, this came home for me this week because like he often does, Satan loves to come knocking on me early in the morning. You know you're no good. God doesn't love you. We just sang that he does. I appreciate that. Does the Father truly love us? He does. But you know what? I just read this passage of scripture and getting ready for this, and I was like, well, it it may be right. You're you're right. I, I may not be worth anything in your eyes, but I know that I love God's people, and I know that that's a test of salvation. I'm saved. I'm bought with the blood of Christ. I love the people of God. I absolutely love the people of God. I love the people of God in this church. I love going overseas and meeting believers. I can't speak their language. They can't speak my language. Instantaneous connection because of what? It's Christ in us. The Holy Spirit living in us, it changes our lives and it draws you into relationship with people. People that you would have nothing in common. What do we have in common with one another in here? We're from all over the place. Some are from the north, some are from the south, some are from the east, some are from the west. Some are from upper economic status, some from lower economic status, some right in the middle. Some are college educated, some are not. Some like to play golf, some can't stand it. Some like baseball, I don't know why. And they do, and and, and, I mean, those kind of things. None of that matters, does it? Because what matters is what Christ has done in our lives. So if you wanna know if you're of the faith, it's that you've abandoned everything else and placed your faith in Christ. And that proven faith leads you to love all God's people. If you don't love God's people, you haven't met God yet. By the way, I think that that's one of the things that I don't necessarily appreciate about sometimes when people take pot shots at the church and satire the church. I don't find that funny. Some people think they're helping the church or whatever, you know. I don't find that funny. It's God's people. I want to love God's people. I want to edify God's people. Because I believe God's people are just as crazy as I am. You know what I mean? We're all in this together. We're all nuts. All right? Second thing, proven faith leads to a prayer for understanding and insight. Two different things here. I want you to read verses 16 and 17. Because of this proven faith, it led Paul to pray for this church. And this is a prayer that we need. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus uh, Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, if your Bible, would you look back at that? A lot of our Bibles have that S, spirit, capitalized. Like the, whole, the, the Christian Center Bible has it that way. Maybe your Bible doesn't. It, it's a little bit nuanced in translation. I think the Christian Center Bible gets it right. Capital S, capital H, capital S. What's that? Holy Spirit, Right? Little spirit means just the spirit that you might see or the spirit that's in you, that that kind of thing. But the capital S, Holy Spirit. So he's praying for them very specifically that they would have some insight and understanding. How many of you need some insight and understanding this week? Amen? The rest of you are liars. We need it. How many of you know exactly what to do this week? You've figured out how to to lead your family. You've figured out how to raise your children. You know what to do when you go to work. You know everything. No, we don't know. 
I look around at our world and I spend a lot of my time scratching my head going, what is going on? I don't understand this, Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's right. I don't know what I should, should say here. I don't know what the right thing is, Lord. And he says, this is my prayer for you. He prayed it for them. I'm praying it for us this week. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want to read a quote for you this morning. Most of our troubles in the Christian life arise from the fact that our ideas are so man-centered, so subjective. We start with man and his needs instead of starting with God. That, that's the problem of the church today, isn't it? That's the problem that we all face is that we're kind of right in front of our own eyes all the time, starting with ourselves. And what that means is because we don't start with God, we never have his wisdom and understanding. We never have his insight. We never have his revelation in the knowledge of him. And what Paul is saying is for those who are in Christ, that's available to you. You can have insight and understanding because God gives it to us through the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't start when you start with yourself. Here's the flaw that most of us make. Have you ever said this? I have, and it's wrong. Well, I don't think God would ever. Can you back that up with scripture? Because God, I mean, God will tell you what he ever or ever wouldn't do. Right there. So your thoughts about what God would or wouldn't do don't really impress me. Like I tell you all the time, God doesn't ever call me and ask my opinion. I don't, does he call you? He got your cell phone number? He doesn't call me. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me to inform his counsel. You remember what he, what he, what he said to Job? Who is this? You remember what Job said? I'm about to shut up. I'm not talking anymore. I've learned my lesson, right? God would never back it up with scripture. It's right here available for us. And yet so many of us live with this idea that we're the most important thing in the world. And our viewpoint of things is the starting place for all this. And he says, no, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit revealing some things to you. Now, let me tell you something that's good news. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to take a correspondence course. You don't have to, to do any of those things to learn what God wants for your life. The starting place is here in the scripture with the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. Now, what happens to us is that many of us are living with kind of a Martha mentality instead of the Mary mentality. Do you remember us preaching that a number of years ago? Jesus comes to Martha and Mary's house. He's hanging out. And Martha's running all over the place. She's trying to make room and food and be a good hostess and do all those kind of things. And the Bible says she got frustrated, right? Because she's doing all these things and where was little sister Mary? Sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus, you need to tell my sister, get up and help me serve. And she said, Jesus said to her, what? Uh, Mary chose the better thing. I found myself this week kind of martha Do you ever find yourself that way? I'm running around. I'm doing things for the Lord. I'm busy. I'm busy. I was serving you, God. But I didn't get the spirit of wisdom and revelation because I didn't spend time letting the Holy Spirit illuminate my eyes. How do you do that? Man, you take the word of God and you open it. You start reading it and you start asking the spirit to give you revelation and wisdom and insight and understanding. And God will let you take the most complex issues of our day and see right through them. Why? Because the politicians world leaders, 
bosses, executives, they start with themselves. They start with man-centered ideas. But man-centered ideas don't fix man's problems. God is the one who will give you wisdom and insight for that. Now, here's the thing. There is no excuse for you or for me any longer to be ignorant of the things of God. And when I say ignorant, I mean it without knowledge, right? Why is that? Well, the Bible is available to you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We'll remove that excuse. Hey, I don't really like to read. Great. You can now listen to it. I mean, it's free. We'll give you the app, show you how to do it. I mean, it's available to you. I don't really like to listen. You can watch it. Literally, you can watch the four gospels now. Well, I don't really like that. Then there's no hope for you. I don't know. I mean, you know, like, I mean, what are we supposed to do? We've given you reading. We've given you listening. Now we're giving you watching. And is the American church, is our church any smarter? Do we know any more about the knowledge of God? I don't know. Because I think a lot of times we either start with ourselves or if it were spiritual people, we're running around like Martha. I'm just, I'm running, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing all these things and I haven't stopped. Let me tell you what has never happened. I have never started my day with God and thought, well, that made things worse. Have you? That's never happened. I have started my day plenty of other ways. Breakfast, the news, watching something on TV, working in the yard. I don't know. You start it with anything you want to, and it may or may not get better. But my day has never started with God, and I've thought that didn't help me at all. It's available to us. So he's praying for them that they would have knowledge of this. And and this is really important because I think as we grapple with cultural issues, we can't start with us. We've got to start with what God says. And what God says is right. That's how it has to be. My opinion, your opinion has to be subservient to that. If it's not, you might as well be God. I might as well be God. Doesn't just give us insight but it also gives us some understanding of three things that are really important for us to see. I want you to read verses 18 and 19 with me, and I want you to see how he talks about something God did in your past, something God's doing in your future, and something he's doing in your present. I didn't misspeak on that. We normally think past, present, future, but he doesn't do that. He goes past, future, present. And I want you to see that this morning. Very important for us. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Could you just hang back at those verses for just a second? Because you might read those incorrectly. The, the, the key word here is his. Let's, let's just look at it again. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of whose calling, not your calling, his What is the wealth of your glorious? Nope, his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power? No, it's his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So he's unpacking something just a little bit further and a little bit deeper, and he's starting in the past, moving to the future, coming back to the present to tell us there are three things that we really need to understand. And if we kind of grasp this and wrestle with it, It changes some things about how we view the world and how we go about living this life that we call Christ in us. So if God has the object because his is there in every one of these, I want you to see the first one. 
First is to know what God did in eternity past is to know the hope of his calling. So when he talks to us, we talked about this kind of at the beginning of our study in Ephesians. Do you remember? We said that sometime in eternity past, you entered the mind of God and you were chosen. You met his purposes, you were chosen. You, you were called into the family. That's awesome. When you received Christ, when you placed your faith in Christ, and you understood that you were a sinner and you received Christ, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. But then remember, we step further. He adopted you. Now I want you to think about this. Men and women of old lived their entire lives with the hope of his calling and they lived that out. And, and they, they, took, they took great steps of faith in that. But they were living with the hope of his calling with only a little bit of the picture because as Kirk mentioned, they had not seen Jesus. Messiah had not been born. We're looking back with like two-thirds of it done now, right? We, we've seen the hope of his calling in the past. We've seen Christ in the past. There's just one thing waiting for us in the future. So he says, you need to look back at this and know the hope of your calling because the hope of your calling is what gives you the faith to live today because hope is not a wish. It's a certainty. That's why I'm hopeful, right? I'm hopeful with certainty. Because I know that it's going to happen. You know that it's going to happen. God called us. I'm certain of that. There, there's nothing that can change that. I know that God saved me. When I was a child, I know that I heard the gospel and I responded to the gospel. I put my faith in Christ. God saved me. The hope of his calling was before that. God was doing something long before I could see it, long before you could see it. He was working. God's always working for salvation in people's lives. God's always leading people to repentance. The Holy Spirit is effectual in his calling and his work as the Trinity works itself all the time. He never messes up that. He's always leading people into conviction. People will respond to the gospel. That's the hope of the calling. So we look back and he says that we have this Hope that our eyes could see it, that we would know the hope of his calling. You know, I didn't share this in the first service, but I think, it, I think it's helpful because if you know the hope of your calling, several commentators use this story probably because it's, it's one of the most famous commentary sets a person could buy. Have any of you ever heard of the Matthew Henry commentary on the Bible? It's, it's normally like it's like five, five volumes, I think, is what I have. It, it's been packaged a bunch of different ways. And, and it's a really useful set. In fact, I have like the Matthew Henry study Bible with, it, with his commentary notes kind of, kind of layered in there. That's been helpful to me at different times. And if you don't have a set of commentaries, it's a pretty good set of commentaries just to kind of give you an overview of Scripture. It doesn't deep dive into things. But the story is told about how if you, if you know where your hope is, then it leads to where your future's going, right? If you know where your past is and your hope is, it leads to where your future's going, Matthew Henry's dad's name was Philip, and Philip had fallen in love with a girl who was a different socioeconomic status than he was. She was, she was a higher socioeconomic status, and it was causing problems because as their relationship continued to progress, it became very obvious to this lady's parents that she was going to marry Mr. Philip Henry, and they weren't happy about it. And one day, her dad finally just kind of looked at her and said, Hey, do you even know where he is from? And she said, I do, but I really know where he's going because he was a believer. If you know where you're from, the hope of your calling, the certainty of that, that points us forward to where we're going. Let's, let's see that. That's the next thing. So first is that we know what God did in eternity past, the hope of our calling. But the second 
is our future. He calls it the wealth of his glorious inheritance. The wealth of his glorious inheritance. Well, what is that? If you just look back at this, it's so good. He said, we want you to know what is the hope of his calling, the wealth of his glory and glorious inheritance in the saints. Did you catch what the Bible just called you? Glorious. You are glorious. Do you feel glorious? I seldom do. I feel pretty average most of the time. You know what we kind of tend to do, you work to your strengths and stay away from your weaknesses, right? You, I work to my strengths, I feel better about myself. That's just easy. If my wife asked me to hang blinds in our house, I feel like garbage because I know there's going to be extra holes, you know, in the window casing and different things like that. I'm not very good at it, right? I mean, it's just not, it doesn't come easy to me, so I don't feel as good about myself. It doesn't matter. Glorious. Why? Because you are his inheritance. God could have built a city. He could have had all the gold. He could have created an alternate universe, I suppose, because he's God where people don't exist and there is no sin and there's no garbage and stuff that we bring to the table. He could have done that, I guess. And he would have been well within his rights to do it. He's God, he does whatever he wants. But he didn't do that. Instead, it says about him and about us, that we are his inheritance. He chose you. And the good news about it is that he's continually adding to that inheritance. His inheritance keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and there's going to be, as we mentioned, the, those people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from everywhere, that will stand at the throne of God, and we will, in his glory, share in that because we are his glorious inheritance. Well, that changes some things, doesn't it? It feels good. It's not because of what I did. It's because of what he did. And the apostle Paul is saying, I want you to know this. I want you to get it. I want you to grapple with this, to wrestle with this, and to let the Holy Spirit drive that down into your soul that you are glorious this morning in Christ. Third thing that he says is, the thing that we have now is power. Think about this. Let's read it again. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? I'm amazed at what we can measure. I don't know if that's kind of happened to you, like that, that, that you kind of get to that place where you're amazed at what we can measure. Recently, one of my friends told me that he had gone and had the antibody test and that they can look and, and see in things in your blood that are now microscopic nano levels of, of things. That really changes medicine, doesn't it? Because you know we can see things about our blood and our blood work that lets our doctors know, hey, we need to change this medicine a little bit, tweak this just a little bit. Too much could be really bad for you, too little, not enough. We can see that. It's measurable. I'm also kind of blown away at, at what we can measure that's big. I mean, there, there's little things we can measure down to, to subparticle, I guess is what you would call it, or maybe the subatomic level, I don't know. Uh, but then we can measure light years. I mean, how do you measure light years? I mean, we, we can tell you how long it's gonna take you to get to Mars. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, that blows my mind that we can do that. And the apostle says, but one thing that you can't measure is the greatness of God's power toward us. 
And it's to us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And the power that he's talking about, could you look at this? We're gonna see it next week. It says, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. So the power that he's talking about is our key verse for next week. And he's saying to us this morning, there's something about the greatness of God's power. It's immeasurable and it's toward you. It was given to you. It's for the present. You have the hope of the calling in the past that I was doing something. I was calling you out of darkness. And then you have this greatness of the gloriousness of our inheritance, that we are the inheritance of God in the future, and so much of our salvation is, is coming in the future, but for right now, we have power. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get a little bit cynical with this when I haven't spent time with the Lord. I, I can start to think like, was well, the arm of the Lord too short? Remember when the scripture says that? It's not. Do you believe that God's power is immeasurable, or do you think that it's limited? I think sometimes the disconnect is that we try to do things often where we co-opt things from the scripture and try to take them to the world or co-opt things from the world and take them to the scripture and we confuse what power ought to be. He's not talking about building a power in a government here. That's not the same power. So we might say that and say like, oh, well, we need to take that and we need to do that. And, and I said this to the first service you know, the, the problem that we have when we do that is we're trying to take something that is led by imperfect people that will always be imperfect, even though it's ordained by God. Government is always going to be imperfect. You better say amen to that. Can, can I just remind you, and, and this, is, this is for free, make me feel good. Just say amen in a minute, you'll know. There's not a political party that owns God. Do we know that? That was weak. Some of you are like, I'm not sure, Pastor. There's not, there's not. It, it doesn't work that way. And so when we try to grab that and we're like, oh, the power of God, let's throw it here and let's make it. It's, it's not what we're dealing with here. And, and that's man's ways. I'm gonna, tell you, I'm gonna tell you how this kind of popped up in my life a number of years ago. We were having a meeting with my ministry team and um, I think Joe was on it at the time. I think Philip was on it at the time. Bob Ray was on it at the time. I can't remember. These are the five men that I'm accountable to that you as the church have said, you're accountable to this group. And, and we were looking for a, a staff member and we'd kind of exhausted all of our resources. And as we'd exhausted our resources, a friend of mine said, hey, you ought to reach out to this group and, and they're helping churches now find someone. Well, we had done something like that in the past. It was fine. I mean, there's nothing, nothing wrong with it. But this season of life, we were praying about this and I brought that to the ministry team and said, hey, I've talked to this group. They help churches find people. It's this kind of thing. And you know, but if we go through with this, we have to be willing to understand that they may not produce someone and we will have spent some money and it, it, it may just be like, a, like we, we flushed this money. Are y'all okay with that? And the room got eerily quiet. And Philip is in here. Philip, Philip Lim is the one who said this to us that night. He said, Pastor, I don't know. This just feels like man's ways. And I said, okay, feel free, speak. And he said, well, all I know is that when God found Moses at the burning bush, he didn't need a staffing company. And I was like, well, we're done. We don't need that anymore. And everybody around the table said, Pastor, not, this isn't what we need to do right now. Great. It's easy, isn't it? We kind of fall back into that. We power and structures and, and these kind of things. And what he's saying to us, the power that we have is given to us by, by God. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is an overcoming power. It, it gives us great power. But there's something here that is nuanced that we don't see in the English version of our Bibles because it's two words that don't exactly kind of jump off the page to us. Look back at verse 
19, I want you to see this. He says, the immeasurable greatness of his power, there's one word, uh, toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. And it, it wasn't until I was reading, reading this and, and one of the commentators pointed this out. The, the first time that he's talking about there is this immeasurable greatness of his power, stored potential energy, stored potential energy. But then he says, further than that, right, that there is this according to the mighty working of his strength, that's energy that's delivered. So it's not just that God has immeasurable power. I think we, we sometimes get there, right? It's like, oh yeah, God made the world. He's got the whole world in his hands. I can sing that. I don't really believe it because he's not answering what I want him to do right now or things don't look the way I want them to look or our nation doesn't look the way that I want them to look. It just feels like we're falling off the wagon. I mean, just what's going on? And he says, this isn't just potential. I had a friend that used to tell me all the time, potential just means you haven't done anything yet. You have the potential to do it. You just haven't done anything. So great, have potential, but go do something, right? Go, go do something with that potential. This isn't just potential energy. This is energy that is effectual. I, I think about this when I drive across East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee and you see the lakes that have dams in front of them, right? There's a lot of energy stored behind that. And sometimes they let that water run through and it turns the turbines, doesn't it? It gives us power. That's effectual power. Sitting behind the dam, it's potential power, and it's immeasurable. I mean, it just goes anywhere. But he's saying, I want you to know the effectual power of God in your life. It's not just potential. It's that that power that's given to us, and we're going to see this next week, it's that power that defeats all enemies. Every enemy that would come against the cross will be defeated. Every enemy that would come against God's kingdom will be defeated. But it may not look how we want it to look. It may not look with might like we think about might. It's God's power. It's God's might. And that has to be in the forefront of our minds that we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities and darkness and none of them can stand against us. So I ask you this question. Do you believe the arm of the Lord is weak? Do you believe it's unable to move anymore? Have you lost the ability to see the effectual power of God in our lives? You know, I think that happens when you string together a day where you kind of get busy like a Martha. You know, you're running, you're doing this, and you string that day with one more, two more, three more, four, five, a week, two weeks a month, a year, two years, whatever. I mean, you can be a believer. We can just be kind of running down the road with this. I mean, it's, it just, we get sucked in that trap, don't we? I'm busy, I'm doing stuff, I'm serving, I'm whatever it is, and you lose sight of the greatness of God's power. His arm is not weak. His power is not ineffectual. It is immeasurable. Well, that leads us to ask the question maybe that I think we often wonder is, can he still save people? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is still in the business of saving people? Do you believe that his power can change a soul? Do you believe that gospel engagements are important? Do you believe that it's the power of the gospel that will change this country, not the politicians, not the party over here, the party over here, the party over here, or the next piece of legislation, whatever it may be. It's got to be hearts and minds changed by the power of the gospel. And if you don't believe that that's effectual, give up. It's over. Because there's nothing left. We got nothing it's only the power of God. And I want to know that. 
I want to see that on full display. I want you to see it on full display. I want us to see it as we defeat strongholds and tear down addictions and and marriages that are failing are restored by the power of God. I, I want to see those things happen. I want to see us be overcomers, that there is no enemy that can defeat us because of the power of God. If it can raise someone from the dead, what can't it do? Do you believe that he can change America? There's a point, it seems, where God hands a nation over to its sins. That's true. And I'm not a prophet. I don't know what that looks like. I can read from the scripture and see it. I think we're certainly headed down that road if we're not already at that road, don't you? But do you remember how many times in Scripture people repented and God restored them and restored their nation? I mean, do you believe that God and his power can change a nation? We can't give up on that hope. That's the hope of our calling, folks. That's his inheritance that he's building for himself, not some alternate universe. It's people. And that power that raised Jesus will change hearts. That power that raised Jesus change a culture when hearts are changed. So I'm going to ask you to do something different. Put everything out of your lap and stand up. I'm going to pray this prayer for our church because we need it. And you may receive it, maybe arms wide open. You may receive it in a kneeling position. You may receive it just standing there. Whatever your posture of worship and receiving the prayer and joining us in prayer would be, you do that. And after we're done, we'll sit back down and continue for just a minute. But would you pray? Oh God, our Father, we come before you through Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit to ask you, oh God, to move in our lives. To ask you to move in our church's life. Father, I pray for Judson that we would be proven in our faith. Father, that our faith would be in Christ and that we would have abandoned everything else. Lord, help us. God, help us to see where we have made unimportant things most important things. God, help us to see where we are not abandoned to you. Help us, Lord, to know that. We reject idolatry. And we trust Christ for salvation alone. Father, may our love for one another in this room and for the brethren around the world grow. And may that give us calm assurance today of how you have changed our lives, that you have called us into relationship with this body here. And God, I pray for us that you would give as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Father, that you would give the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to this church. God, we need your wisdom and understanding. Forgive us for starting with ourselves and trying to work out. We want to start with you. Give us insight and understanding. I pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope of his calling, what the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints is. 
and what the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength is for us. God, let us live firm in our hope and our calling this week. Break our mental barriers that would keep us living at a frenetic pace and not spending time sitting at your feet. Illuminate the scriptures for us. Remind us of where you called us and where we're going and let us live in the power that defeats all enemies that come against the cross. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.